from the furthest to the nearest, from the smallest of the smallest to the greatest of the greatest. Yoga is about all of life, everything we do, all of existence. My name is James Bogue. Welcome to the Whole Life Yoga Podcast. Today, the topic is don't get lost in lamentation. So <laughs> this is one of the key teachings of yoga right at the beginning of the Bhagavad Gita, which is one of the most treasured teachings of yoga, Krishna, the teacher, tells Arjuna, the student, you are mourning about that for which there is no cause to mourn. Throw off this meager faint-heartedness and rise up like the great human being, the great hero you really are. <laughs> you are a human. And you have consciousness and you can use it skillfully as a human being when you exist in life in nature nature is that which is born which will die and in between those two great changes will be subject to constant change the contact of your sense powers with their objects inevitably this will give rise to pain and pleasure, to hot and cold, to gain and loss, to ups and downs. This is the nature of manifest existence in nature. <laughs> things come and go. But we know that things come and go. Everything is changing. Change is inevitable. When something is inevitable, it's not skillful to get lost in lamentation over it. Rather, can you summon your deepest capacity for steadiness and navigate it skillfully, maximizing perhaps then the opportunity to relish and savor each unfolding moment so you can learn, so you can enjoy, so you can experience, and through that experience, become freer, learn more about all those patterns in our minds that may be getting in the way of our experiencing life more fully. So, not getting lost in lamentation is one of the key ideas in yoga. Clarissa Pinkola Estes, 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 I'm not quite sure how one pronounces it, um, the author of the book Women Who Run With The Wolves and of many audio programs on Sounds True. I listened to some of those over the years and at one point I remember her saying, do not, do not condemn, do not criticize and do not complain because those habits are not helpful or healthy. They will sentence one to unnecessary misery. And I thought that is very yogic advice, except in the yogic texts, sometimes these instructions are given in ways that are even more encouraging and even more positive, we might say. But at the beginning of the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna makes it clear. Things sometimes in life will be very troubling. Things will be upsetting. Once you've acknowledged the problem, no need to get lost in lamentation over it. Acknowledge it, feel it, and then once you've noticed it, you're empowered. You can do something about it. So get on with doing something about it. Yes, feel it, acknowledge it, and then move on. Don't allow yourself to spiral downwards into a pit of depressive despair, despondency, and lamentation and complaint. Because you are a sovereign being. 
You have no control over what life brings to you, but you always have agency in terms of how you respond. This is one of Krishna's other very famous teachings in the second chapter of the Bhagavad Gita. You are the sovereign of your experience. Everything you do, you have jurisdiction over it. You are the authority of how you meet life. And we have no control over the outcomes of our actions. But how we act, how we respond to life, our attitude is up to us. So, cultivating an attitude that helps us navigate life more skillfully is one of the things that yoga facilitates or helps us to do. So just last week I was in England and I three days in a row I drove to different places in Yorkshire to share kirtans. And this involved some hours on the road. The vehicle I was driving, I went by car, has three preset radio channels. <laughs> and on the way, I turn the radio on now and then. These preset radio channels, at on the hour, every hour, they will play some news, so-called, because it's often just the same old patterns of depressing information communicated in a tone that seems to me to be intended to, to invite the listener into greater despondency and despair. And then at the end, there's some trivial news item and then perhaps some sports news as a lighter or happier note amidst the doom and gloom, which is then repeated every hour. And I thought, wow, no wonder people sometimes complain of how things are really in a bad way, because the news tells us the same old story of how things are so terrible. But what I found when I was a teenager is when one goes out into the world, one can actually encounter the real news, new experiences, new perspectives. And everywhere I've ever gone, I've encountered people doing new things and doing things that are very, very different from what gets reported in the news. Things that are so beautiful. I see human beings doing things to regenerate the soil, to help their neighbours, to help overcome difficulties, to reach out a hand of forgiveness. This is happening all over the world every day. There's so much wonderful stuff happening, as well, of course, of things that are not so wonderful, or not so positively wonderful, let's say. Anyway, if one is faced with the deluge of negative news, it could be easy to spiral into despair. Now, one of those preset radio channels was a channel called Classic FM, which plays classical music. And as I was listening to Classic FM amidst these other, I would, because I would flick, but as soon as the news came on or the adverts came on, I would try and change channel and then often I would just turn the radio off. But sometimes there'd be a very beautiful piece of music or a nice song on one of the other radio channels. And it so happened in one of the periods when I turned the radio off because I just, oh, I've already heard that news, no thank you. I noticed coming into my own head the type of song I might like to request because they have requests on these radio channels, yeah? And I thought of one of my favorite songs that I understand I heard when I was still a baby, which was Maria Callas singing J'ai perdu mon Eurydice. 
an aria from an opera by Gluck about the story of Orpheus and Eurydice. And back in 2022, I was involved in a chorus project in Ireland, a lovely project, and in this project, my job was to get everybody singing. So we did a, like a concert and the chorus, we, we sang songs and there were various virtuoso soloists. Uh, but my principal role, I did sing a couple of solo songs, but my principal role was to get everybody singing. So it wasn't like us and them, the people on stage and the audience, like at the end, let's all sing together. Let's all create something together. Like we do at Kirtan. But the person who was leading the chorus, Evelyn, who was a, she's a trained opera and bel canto singer, she was encouraging me to expand my repertoire and as well as singing popular songs and reggae songs and kirtan songs and folk songs, to add some opera to my uh, repertoire. <laughs> now, there are some opera songs that I really like, that are for tenors, and I don't have a tenor voice. But she asked me, what other songs do you like? And once I said, oh, yeah, I like some of those Maria Callas songs. She says, oh, do you like J'ai perdu mon I said, oh, yeah, yeah. You could sing that. And so I thought, oh, yeah, good idea. And so I started learning it. Now, when I learn a song to sing, I will sing it many, many times in quick succession. It's a, such a beautiful song. And if you listen to Maria Callas singing it, oh, it's just magnificent. So anyway, I started practicing the song. The opening goes like this. J'ai perdu mon Eurydice, rien n'égale mon malheur, so cruel, quelle rigueur, rien Je succombe à ma douleur. And it goes on. And this is Orpheus who's singing. And so he's just been down into Hades, the realm of the dead, to try to retrieve his beloved Eurydice, who was taken from him by death. So he has done what only a few characters across world mythology have ever managed to do, which is to go into the realm of the dead, meet death, and come out in one piece, still breathing. Orpheus manages to do it. And death even agrees to let him have Eurydice back on one condition. Yeah, you can, you can, you can take her back to the realm, land of the living, but don't look back. She'll be behind you, she'll be walking right behind you, but just don't look back into my realm. You keep looking towards the exit, and once you cross the threshold, then you can turn around and enjoy your reunification with your beloved Eurydice. But don't look back into my realm, understand? And Orpheus says, yes, yes, thank you, Death. I will certainly make sure not to look back. But what happens? He's done this tremendously heroic thing. He's gone down into the realm of the dead. He's confronted death. He's managed to persuade death to give him his beloved back. And then he's approaching the threshold and he's about to cross over back to the land of the living. But he wants to be sure, yeah. And so what does he do? He can't resist. He looks back and just for a moment, he glimpses his beloved 
but the life drains from her instantly. Because she hadn't quite got it. She was only really going to get it back once she crossed the threshold with him. And so then he begins this song. And he says, J'ai perdu mon Eurydice. Oh, I've lost my beloved. Now we can certainly sympathize with Orpheus. What a, what a tragedy. You know, he's done this heroic thing and now he's lost her again. And this time there's no going back. It's a so cr a cruel fate. And he says, Rien n'égal à mon malheur. Nothing could possibly equal my suffering. Je succombe à ma douleur. I succumb to my pain. So when I started learning this song, it's such a beautiful song. But when I was repeating this again and again, I thought, wait a minute, no, no, I need to stop singing this because I don't want to entrain in my mind anything that is going to hint to this attitude of nothing could be worse than this and I'm succumbing to my pain. I don't want to succumb to my pain. There'll be plenty of pain in life. Pain and suffering, kind of inevitable. There's going to be things that try us, things that are very difficult. We're going to lose the people we love. We're going to lose the things we love. That's what happens in life. We're all going to die. We're going to lose things. The things that we are attached to, the, the, our preferences won't always be met. Suffering's part of the game. But I do not want to foster or encourage an attitude which exacerbates or amplifies that pain. No, no, no. Instead, I want to cultivate and enhance and bolster an attitude that helps me navigate the inevitable ups and downs from a more balanced center with more skillfulness so I can actually in a sense enjoy the experience. Now when I say enjoy please take this understanding that I'm saying this in the Sanskrit sense. The Sanskrit verb or word here is bhojan and bhogan and Bhoga means experience, enjoyment, education. Bhojanam means food. The idea is that all our experiences, they are our karmas coming to fruition. When we chew on them with presence, with awareness, then we can savor them to their fullness and be free of them. If we think, oh, woe is me, I'm succumbing to my pain, then we're not going to be free of that pain. We're going to set it in perpetuating motion. I don't want that. No, instead, whatever life throws at me, can I meet it? Can I taste it? Can I chew it and digest its particular gifts? Because through experience, I learn. Hmm. Beautiful things, difficult things, things that are not a little bit nondescript. If I meet them and experience them with real awareness, with real presence, they all hold tremendous gifts for my own learning, for my own realization, realizing instead, realizing where I'm really at in relation to myself, in relation to existence, in relation to all of my experiences of living being. And the whole point in yoga is to actually recognize the depths of ourselves. So every experience, how we interface and interact with it can teach us about ourselves. So let me not get lost in lamentation. Let me not succumb to pain and despair. When I feel pain, or when I feel upset, let me acknowledge it. And let me acknowledge, well, as soon as I acknowledge it, as soon as I observe it, I am empowered. As one of my beloved teachers and friends in India has reminded me and others, he says, James, remember, your problem is smaller than you are because it exists in your awareness.
Awareness is the master key. And so eventually I would like to get to a stage where I can sing, j'ai perdu mon with the awareness that I'm just singing it as an act <laughs> and not allow the words to entrain me into a negative thought pattern. But I'm a practitioner, not a master. And I felt a little bit wary of singing the song a hundred times in one week to learn it. And so I have not learned it to share and perform. And in the little part of the song I sang, and maybe when you listened, you thought, yeah, I can tell you didn't practice it that much, but it's a beautiful, beautiful song. And I do highly recommend listening to Maria Callas's soaring, searing rendition. But the other thing I would recommend is that as human beings, we do everything we can to cultivate attitudes that help us navigate the inevitable vagaries, ups and downs of life in a way that helps us stay more centered so we can savor the beautiful things without getting carried away, so we can meet the difficulties of life from the type of steady center that allows us to respond with greater skillfulness and then move through everything we experience in a way that lets each unfolding moment be its own fulfillment, that we can actually savor each experience in the ways that allow us to learn, to grow, and so become a little bit freer because we've managed to complete some necessary lesson on our own journey towards realization. Thank you for listening. Let us not succumb to depression or dejection. Let us remember, it is a blessing to be alive. We have this gift of awareness. May we use it in ways that lift ourselves up into a clearer, faster perspective. Thank you.